to verse 29. And we'll just, we'll just pray uh, as, we, as we open this passage. Father, we, we want to come and adore you. We want to behold our God and behold our King, uh, God eternal, who has humbled himself to the grave, Jesus, Savior, risen, night to reign. And uh, we pray you again that you help us to, to see him uh, with our heart and our mind's eye. Uh, and to love him and adore him. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this morning Chris was preaching through Ephesians, and uh, a beautiful uh, message pointing to what we have in Christ. And he said at one point in the sermon that, uh, towards the end of the sermon, one of the, what we need to do then to make these things real in our lives, like how do we, how do we live like these things are true? How do we get these things to... Uh, they already are a reality, but how do we come to believe they're a reality? And he said one of the answers is to get a higher view of who Jesus is, to, to really get a high view of God, a high view of Christ. And I, and I hope that's my aim for this evening and, and this section, John 5, verse 19 to, to verse 29. And that's, that's the gospel of John. That's John's goal here in this passage to give you a high view of who Jesus is as Jesus tells us uh, who he is here and as we get into this little section of, of John 5, keep in mind, as, as you read all of John's gospel, keep in mind John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. Because everything that's happening in, in the whole of John's gospel is, is John 1, verse 1 to 18, like unpacked for you. And, and it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then a little bit later it says, and his own did not receive him, right? And that's what we're going to see here. God taken on flesh and his own people not receiving him. Jesus has come to his own. Here in John chapter 5, he has come to his own and they have not received him. This man who at the start of John 5 was healed, wasn't healed because of his faith. Right? What did the man have faith in when Jesus healed him? He had faith in a superstition. And Jesus healed him anyway. And then the man just kind of leaves <laughs> and uh, runs into the temple. And then we know he, he grasses Jesus up. He, 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 he sort of... Betrays Jesus almost. And then these people here, now that we have these uh, Jewish leaders who've come to question Jesus. Uh, Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. And he healed knowing what would happen. So he knew this conversation was going to happen, right? He's come here. He's gone into the pool of Bethesda. He's healed one man. And he knows uh, what the outcome will be. Will be this moment of conflict between him and the Jewish leaders. We read up a little bit from our reading and we know that the Pharisees now want to kill Jesus. He has healed on the Sabbath and he's also commanded another man to take up his bed and walk on the Sabbath. But more important than that in the eyes of the Pharisees, his reply, his reply is that my, my father works and so do I. And he's claimed equality with the father. Basically, Jesus' reply to their accusation is, well, who doesn't have to keep the Sabbath? God doesn't have to keep the Sabbath, so therefore I don't have to keep the Sabbath. And they're like, what did you just say? And then now he's like, well, just in case you didn't catch that, here's verse 19 to 29. In case you missed my claim, here's what I'm saying. Who can command someone to take their bed and walk on the Sabbath? God can. And that's what Jesus is, is claiming here. Now, we're looking this, this uh, evening at a very simple statement, Jesus is God. That's, that's what we're looking at tonight. It's not, no clever titles, right? Jesus is God. Uh, God made man. And again, this, uh, this is what we're looking at uh, really this evening. The, the Jews were expecting a Messiah, right? We know that. J Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, 
And they are waiting for a Messiah. They've read in their Old Testament Bibles, there's someone who's coming who is the root of Jesse, the son of man, and the Jews are waiting for him. But the problem was that uh, sometimes the things Jesus is saying goes against God's law and from their perspective. So how can this one be uh, the Messiah? And what they thought, the, the mindset of the Jew was, God is in the heavens and he's going to send a, a person. He's going to send someone who's going to come and be the Messiah from David, from amongst us. And he's going to rule over the earth, right? So that's their Messiah. They have a mindset that, that someone is coming from the line of David to be the Messiah. What's shocking is Jesus' claim here is that the reason he is uh, exasperating these people is because he is claiming to be the promised Messiah who is God in the flesh. And that's, that's not what they were expecting, right? So they were expecting a Messiah to come from God. They weren't expecting God to come as the Messiah, right? So this is blowing them away, and they're not appreciating what Jesus has to say. So this section of John's Gospel is the undiluted deity of Jesus being poured out. Undiluted. Here it is. This is who Jesus is. Now, before we get into this little section, I just want to say this. This, this aspect or this truth of Christianity, it's not a thing that once and for all you settle in your mind uh, as if you fully grasped it, right? And then you sing about it once a year over the winter months and you argue it with people who don't believe it. That's not what this is, right? This, this truth of Christianity, this part of Christianity, that God has become a man, should be something that you wonder at on a daily basis, like this should, this should captivate you every day that this is what's happened. This is our story. This is what happened uh, 2,000 years ago. It's a present reality. It should captivate you and all you, all of the time. It should take your breath away time and time again. This is old information, but it should be fresh in our hearts uh, every single day. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, Solomon asks this question. Will God indeed Dwell on the earth. And then about a thousand years later, here in John's gospel, Jesus says, yes. Yes, he will. And I am the Lord in your midst. So before these people who want his blood, because they think he's claiming to be equal with God, he doesn't actually correct them. He gives them what we're looking at this evening. And in this little section, verse 19 to 29, what we're going to see is the harmony and the equality of the Father and the Son. The harmony and the equality of the Father and the Son. And what I want to try and do this evening is I'm just going to break the section into three sections each time that Jesus says, truly, truly, or perhaps in your Bible, verily, verily, or most assuredly. Okay? So if you look there with me, just to kind of help you get the outline in your mind, in verse 19, Jesus says, uh, most assuredly, very, verily, verily, or truly, truly. And then if you go down to verse 24, you see it's the same thing again. And then verse 25, the same thing again. And uh, using just Jesus' seems to be breaking up some claims here. I'm just going to follow that and, and try to get through um, what we're looking at here. So this is, this is going to be work tonight. No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be work this evening, right? Because this is, this is meat, right? You know, this is really, this is Jesus' claim of deity. So what we're going to see, and the first thing we see tonight in verse 19 to verse 23, is what Jesus shares with the Father. Okay, verse 19 to verse 23, what Jesus shares with the Father. 
And uh, the first thing we see that he shares is the work of the Father, verse 19 to verse 20. We'll just read that again. Jesus answered and said to them, to the Jewish leaders, Most assuredly, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. Whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son, shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may Marvel. So Jesus shares in the work of the Father. And so what's being said here in verse 19, Jesus is essentially saying this, I don't do anything in contradiction or in rivalry to the Father. Why is he saying that? I don't do anything in contradiction or rivalry to the Father because he's just healed a man on the Sabbath, right? And they're saying, that's what you've done is a sin, what you've done is evil. And Jesus is saying, my Father works. And I do what my father does. Everything I do is in harmony with my father. Everything my father does and I do is in harmony. And and then he's also claiming at the same time, only I can do what the father can do. So there's just two claims going on here in verse 19. Everything I do is in harmony with the father. And everything the father can do, I can do. That's the two statements that Jesus is making. Now what can the father do? Well, the father can create Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus can create. And it tells us in other passages of the scripture, all things were made by him. The father sustains the world. He sustains it all. And we see in other passages of scripture, in Colossians and Hebrews, it says, and Jesus is holding it all together with his word, with his voice, right? So the father creates, the father sustains, the father redeems. He rescues the nation of Israel and Jesus redeems uh, as well. So everything I do, I do it in harmony with the father and everything the father can do, I can do as well. There's only one person who can claim to do what God can do. Who would that be? God. Right? I can't do the stuff God does. I'm very extremely limited. Everyone's like, I know, right? But I can't do those things. Jesus claims he can do those things. Okay? And uh, using C.S. Lewis's uh, the three options, Jesus is either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. He is who he claims to be. He can't be just a good teacher. Because no good teacher just claims to be God, right? So he's either lying to us, he's mad, or he is who he says he is. And he claims right here before these men, I can do what God the Father can do. That's a big claim. And then we get to verse 20. And it's the same as what's being said in chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son. And what Jesus is saying in verse 20 is this. My Father and I are in the closest possible fellowship and I know everything he does and he knows everything I do. I know, Jesus says, I know everything the Father does, right? Now, this morning, if you were here this morning, our opening reading was Romans 11. And what did it say? Paul says, how unscrutable are his ways. His ways are past finding out. I can't know all the ways of God, Paul says. And Jesus says, I can. I know all his ways. I know everything the Father does. Because we're in the closest uh, possible fellowship. He knows everything that I do, including healing this man I've just healed. The Father holds nothing back from me, and I hold nothing back 
from the Father. We are, Jesus is claiming, we are working together, doing the same works in perfect harmony. Everything the Father does, he shows it to me. And it's, it's pointing back a little bit to the Old Testament. Because if you remember in Genesis chapter 18, when, when God speaks to himself, and there's this recording of God speaking to himself, and God says, how can I hold back from my friend Abraham what I'm about to do? Right? Abraham is my friend. I want him to know what I'm going to do. And, uh, and then even closer than that is the relationship between father and son. And the father tells the son everything he's doing. And the son tells the father everything he's doing. And it's pointing back to Moses. This friend who speaks face to face with the father. But it says here at the end of verse 20, there's going to be greater works than these that you may marvel. What are these greater works? Well, Jesus has just raised a man who is paralyzed on the Sabbath day. And then Jesus said, I'm going to, we're going to do, him and I, me and the Father, we're going to do way bigger things than that. Uh, we're going to make blind people see. We're going to cast out demons and get this. We're going to raise people from the dead. That's, that's just what's happening here. We're going to do greater things than what you've seen us do so far while I've been uh, on the earth. Okay, so that's Jesus shares in the work of the Father. Second of all, Jesus shares in the sovereignty of the Father in verse 21. It says, As the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to who? Whoever he wants, to whom he will. Okay, verse 21, to whom he will. The Father and the Son don't just do the same work with the same knowledge, but they have the same power to raise the dead and to give life. And only God has the power to raise the dead. Perhaps there's someone in the room who's thinking, well, what about Elijah and Elisha who raised the dead? But if you go back and read the accounts of Elijah and Elisha, what happens is it tells us each time, Elijah cried to the Lord and the Lord raised him from the dead. Elisha prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered his prayers and raised him from the dead. Jesus claiming more power than that and more authority than that. He's not saying, I will pray to the Father and the Father will raise the dead. He says, I raise who I want to raise. So he's sovereign. He gets to decide who he wants to raise from the dead. This is what the Son is able to do to raise the dead. Well, only God can raise the dead. Only God can kill and make alive again. Only God is the author of life and, the, and has authority over death. So this is Jesus again saying, I am God. I am God uh, in the flesh. So he shares the sovereignty. Uh, the third thing we see in this little section is he shares judgment with the Father in verse 22. The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. This gets into the whoever Jesus wants to bit. God the Father has delegated all authority to judge to the Son. All authority for judgment is handed over uh, to the Son. The Father does not judge without the Son. The Son is the judge. The Son is the promised root of Jesse. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 to 5, it says this. Abraham said, uh, sorry, Abraham, chapter 11, verse 1 to 5 of Isaiah talks about this idea of, of the judge of the earth, that, that there's going to be a Lord from uh, God who's going to be the judge of the earth. Abraham in Genesis 18 said, God is the judge of all the earth. 
Uh, judgment is God's, God is judge, only God can truly judge. So Jesus claiming that the Son is the judge is him claiming that he is God. He shares uh, this authority to judge. And then the fourth thing is that Jesus shares honor with the Father in verse 23. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In the zeal, in these men, these Jewish leaders who've confronted Jesus, in their zeal to honor the Father, they're rejecting Jesus. You see that? They are so zealous for the Father that they want Jesus to die. Or they think they're so zealous for the Father, right? As Romans says, a a zeal but without knowledge. And they're so zealous, they're actually going to kill Jesus. But Jesus is saying here that the Father's great desire is that the Son, the Messiah, the root of Jesse, would be honored at the same level as the Father. That's big, right? That the Father's desire is that the Son would share in the same amount, the same level of honor as the Father. And in this claim here that Jesus is making, the only way to truly honor the Father is by honoring the Son. That's the only way to truly honor the Father is to lift up Jesus. The Father's great desire is to honor the Son. The Holy Spirit's great desire right now is to point and glorify the Son. That's the great desire. The Son's great desire is the Father's glory. The Father's great desire is the Son's glory. The Spirit's great goal is to point us to the Son. And the only way to truly honor the Father is to honor the Son. Again, this points us back to Genesis. The promise given to Abraham, those you bless, I will bless, or those who bless you, I will bless, those who curse you, I will curse. The only way to receive a blessing from God the Father back then was to bless Abraham. And if you wanted to receive a cursing from the Father, easy. Just curse Abraham. Right? And Jesus is claiming to be that crossroad now. I'm that one. You bless me, you'll receive a blessing from the Father. You curse me, it's condemnation from the Father. I'm the one in the crossroads. Okay? Jesus is uh, the crossroad. And there's other religions who say they honor the Son and they, they honor Jesus, the prophet, uh, and they honor Jesus as this, uh, this small g God. But the only way to truly honor the Father is to honor the Son at the same level as the Father, as God made man. So that's uh, number one, what Jesus shares with the Father. Hi, is everybody. We okay? Is that all right? It's heavy stuff, right? I mean, man, getting into John 5. Oof. All right. The second thing then we see is what Jesus gives with the Father in verse 24. So there's something in verse 24 that both Father and Son give together to us. Verse 24, most assuredly, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Because of all this that we've looked at so far, this being the harmonious equality of father and son, the father and the son are both the source of eternal life. We receive eternal life from the father and the son. And Jesus says here, if you hear me, and the idea of hearing Jesus's word here is to hear and believe, right? Not just 
yeah, I hear you. It's a bunch of rubbish, and I believe the Father. It's I hear it, and I receive it, and I believe what you're saying. I hear your claims. I hear who you say you are. I hear what you say you're going uh, to do. It's something we use today in the 21st century. When someone's sharing a story with you, and you agree with them, and you resonate with them, and you understand what they're saying, sometimes what we say is, I hear you. Right? I hear you. I hear you on that. Which is like saying, I agree. I understand what you're saying. And that's Jesus. Hear me and believe the Father who sent me. Now look at this. Verse 24 is amazing. Uh, if we hear the words of Jesus, believing them, believing who he is and what he's done, and believe in the Father who sent him, what happens? We have everlasting life. When, when do we get everlasting life? When do we have it? When we die? I, I die and then, and then it's eternal life forever. When do I have everlasting life? Right now as a Christian. Anyone who believes, anyone who trusts in Jesus and believes the Father who sent him is given eternal life. Given it right now. You have eternal life right now if you're a Christian. Like you've got it. It's yours. And then it says beautifully in verse 24, you will not come into judgment. Those are the words of Jesus. If you've trusted in this, if you've believed this, once and for all, you've trusted in Christ the Savior, you believe the Father, you're giving everlasting life, and you will not come into judgment, says Jesus. You will not come into judgment, says Jesus. Romans 8, there is therefore now no, what? Condemnation to those who are in Christ. There is no judgment. Judgment is removed from us. Why? Verse 24, because... That person who has believed, that person who's trusted in Christ as Savior, has passed, not will pass, has passed from death to life. From death to life. Right? right? You've passed. You're, you're in. You're through. You're up from the grave. You're risen in Jesus Christ. Your soul is risen. Your spirit is risen. We're just waiting for this thing to be risen too. Eternal life is here, right now, for those in Christ Jesus. And it doesn't say for those who believe hard enough, for those who have great faith, for those who do great things. Hey, you hear my word, you believe the Father, it's yours, freely given by Jesus. Jesus is the most inclusive person in the universe when he says, whoever hears and believes gets it. And at the same time, he's the most exclusive person in the universe because he says only those who hear and only those who believe have eternal life. So that's what the Father and the Son give us. Third thing we look at, the final thing, is what Jesus receives from the Father as the Son. So what he shares with the Father, what Jesus and the Father give us, and in verse 25 to 29, what Jesus receives from the Father. And now the first thing we see that Jesus receives is life giving life. Verse 25 to verse 26. Most assuredly, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. There's been another time where Jesus said that in John chapter 4, speaking to the woman of Samaria. And he said there, woman, believe me, the hour is coming and now is. When we don't worship in this temple or that mountain, but we worship the Father all over in spirit and in truth. So that when he, Jesus says something like that, the hour is coming and now is, what he's saying is, I'm bringing this. 
This is coming with me right now. And it's, and it's coming and it's spreading what I'm about to bring. Okay, that's, that's what he means by the hour is coming and now is when he says those things. So just as his word has power to give eternal life in verse 24, his voice has power to raise the dead. The hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear and, and rise. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here are the dead in verse 25. I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Who are the dead in this section? Well, we do have the physically dead who are going to hear Jesus' words pretty shortly. In John chapter 10 and 11, Jesus, or chapter 11, he's going to speak to a man who's been dead for four days and say, Lazarus, get out of here. Come on, come forth. And the dead will hear his voice and live. And, but see, Jesus says, and now is. Because there's a, there's a view in, in back then that, the, that there's going to be a day where the, the dead will rise in, in the future. And, and Miriam and Martha believe that. They come to Jesus and, and he says, hey, do you not believe I'm a resurrection in the life? And they're like, yeah, we believe you're going to raise them in the end. And Jesus is like, no, and now is. <laughs> right? And he raises Lazarus from the dead at that moment. But there's also the spiritually dead who are passing from death into life. Just like what verse 24 said. When the dead passed from deadness, death, into life. Those who are receiving eternal life. Just like the Samaritans in chapter 24, or chapter 4, who believe God. Who believe that he's the Messiah. Those Samaritans who believe Jesus was the Messiah in chapter 4, they pass from death to life. Right? There's no judgment for them. They've believed this message about who Jesus is. And so they, the spiritually dead now, are alive in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the word that spoke creation into life. And he's the word that speaks the dead into life again. Verse 26 says, As the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son to have life in himself. The Father is self-existing. The Father needs nothing to live. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need the universe. He he is self-existing. And so is the Son. The Son is also eternally self-existing and the Son incarnate as a man in flesh, self-existing. And the fact that Jesus is self-existing, needing nothing from us, means he has the ability to give us life. Life physically, life Spiritually, John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life. In him was life. Physical life, spiritual life as well. So the Father has given Jesus uh, life-giving life. And then second of all, he's given Jesus authority to judge in verse 27 to verse 29. He's given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Verse 27, man, God incarnate, has been given uh, judge the, the ability and authority to judge over man as man. This is Daniel 7. This is uh, Jesus, the son of man, coming to the ancient of days to be given an eternal throne and dominion and to be the judge of all the earth. 
Verse 28 to 29, he says, the hour is coming. He already said that, if you remember, up in verse 25, the hour is coming. But there's a difference. In verse 25, he says, the hour is coming, and now is. And here in verse uh, 28 and verse 29, he says, the hour is coming. And he's pointing to a future day now, when there's another time, another hour uh, of Jesus' incredible ability to raise the dead. Another hour is coming. In a future day, from this point, even from this point here today at Union Chapel, when all who are in the grave will hear and be resurrected by Jesus. Every person on the planet is going to be resurrected. Everyone, Christian and non-Christian, will be risen from the dead. Every single person, Jesus is going to raise from the dead. But there are those who it says here in verse 29, and we're not going to get into the, the whens about this, just the details that Jesus gives is enough for verse 29. Those who have done good will come to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Quoting Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. Those who have done good will be risen to life. So I, because I, I thought we got in through Jesus, right? So how can it be those who have done good to the resurrection of life? Well, again, it's the imputed righteousness of Christ added to our lives that makes us good. And then if we're transformed by Jesus, then don't we live a life for Jesus, right? So we're not getting in because we do good works. But those who are in are those who have been made good by Jesus. And then who just live a life transformed by Jesus. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. You will stand before Jesus. Uh, People say all roads lead to God, right? All roads lead to Rome. There's 30 ways up that mountain, Right? All roads lead to God. Do you guys think that's true? I do. Every road leads to him. But the, the difference is, how will we meet him? Right? I'll meet him as my savior. Because I've trusted in Jesus. I've believed in his word. And therefore, I, I'm righteous. I've been given everlasting life. And I'll meet him. Or I could not believe him. I could believe in another religion. I could pursue trying to become good in my own strength. And I'll still meet God. But I'll not meet him as my savior. I'll meet him as my judge. And I'll be condemned for not believing in Christ. To the resurrection of condemnation. Every single person in this room deserves the resurrection of condemnation. Because we have done evil. But not everyone in this room is going to experience the resurrection of condemnation. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of what he's done for us. So the people were waiting for the Messiah... And uh, they're waiting for uh, someone to come and get rid of Rome. Someone to come and restore true temple religion in Jerusalem under the Mosaic Covenant. That's what they wanted. Someone to come back, bring us under the temple again, bring us back into obedience to Moses. And then after that, after we've got back into Moses, God's going to come as a spirit into the temple, just like he's done before. That's what they're hoping for. But Jesus shocks them all because he says... I am the Messiah, and I'm God in the flesh. It's not going to be that temple anymore. I'm the temple. And this is blowing categories for these people. Jesus, God in the midst, the temple of God. Jesus has absolute authority and power as eternal God. And he has been given delegated authority and power as the God-man, the Son of Man of Daniel. So just to summarize here, Jesus says, I can do anything the Father does. 
I know everything the Father does. I can raise anyone just like the Father can. I share equal honor with the Father. I will judge everyone as the Father has decreed. I self-exist like the Father does. And I give life to anyone just as the Father does. These are Jesus' claims here. Now this is glorious truth. This is not just intellectual fact. I know we've been intellectual tonight. We've, it's been heavy. I know it has. But this is glorious truth. The Old Testament temple, the unclean could not come near. Here's the New Testament temple, Jesus of Nazareth, the temple coming near to the unclean. For a few brief years, and even still in the glorified body, God weighed something. You think about that? Like God stepped, God could have stepped on scales and weighed something. God had a height. I don't know what height he was, but God had a height. God walked at three miles an hour. God did that. This is what Athanasius says, because I don't want this to be theory and intellectual. So I'm going to bring you to Athanasius, an old church father. And he says this, he descended that he might raise us up. He went down to corruption, that corruption might put on immortality. He became weak for us, that we might rise with power. He descended to death, that he might bestow on us immortality and give life to the dead he became man that we who die as men might live again and that death should no more reign over us and we say amen Amen. and praise god well let's uh respond to these